0: You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy.
1: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to episode 146 of uh, of the STA web chat, which will turn into a podcast by the end of the week. I'm gonna turn the tables, if I may, uh, this evening on Matt. Um, those of you for, who join us every week and listen to the podcast will be very familiar with Matt, but I'm not sure how many of you know his story. So what I'm gonna to ask to do first, Matt, if you could just do a brief um, review of what we, what we spoke about last week, and then we'll, we'll head into, uh, you know, you explaining your journey in the, in, in the industry you know how did you get to where you are today thanks very much gary how lovely after 146 episodes to hear your
0: dulcet tones introducing the podcast instead of mine wonderful we're making history here yes so thanks very much tables are turned tonight um so this is part of um the focus on cpd that we're doing this month Um, we had a couple of weeks ago dr gary mendoza in the studio who was talking about his behavioral change and motivation interview of course And then last week, we had Ben Cormack of Core Kinetic um, talking about his uh, therapeutic movement and exercise course. And then this week, the tables have turned and Gary is going to be asking me about my CPD course, which is Gait Analysis for Runners, a Modern Approach. Um, and this will be the last of the focus on cbds obviously all of the other episodes are available on all popular podcast apps and on youtube if you want to watch the video and also on the sta.co.uk website and then next week we'll be going to maybe the first Tuesday of the month so we'll be doing our ask tim with tim allardyce um asking your questions anything to do with sports therapy and sports massage therapy industry so that's what we're doing gary
1: Great thanks Matt. Uh, usual suspects are in the room already, Penny's here. Uh, Nikki was looking forward to you interviewing yourself, <laughs> that would have been an interesting one wouldn't it? Make <laughs> yeah. Um, so Matt obviously I've known you for I don't know 12 or 13 years now since we first met so I'm very familiar with how you got where you are today and I'm very lucky to have been uh, and attended one of your RunChat live conferences when it was held in in Brighton before the uh, the pandemic. So, just for the benefit of those listening or those joining us live, you know, what's your journey? Where did you start from? You know, what have you studied, and how did you get to where you are today?
0: Good question, Gary. Um, yeah, so it's 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 really nice to have this chance to let people know about myself because one of the things about sports therapy association and everything we do is to try and reach out to people who don't know about us who don't know our guests who aren't on the same page so we actually start benefiting the industry so a lot of people know me thanks to the last couple of years um, for being host of the sports therapy association podcast but my passion for putting the evidence back into soft tissue therapy which is the tagline of this podcast is putting the evidence back into running injury performance, which started way back in 2017, 18. After I would just come back from Kenya, where I'd been involved in setting up one of the first gait analysis labs in Nairobi um, with Run Beyond. They contacted me because they've been following my website Run Chat Live, and also um, they uh, were familiar with the conferences and things. And and so yeah. When I came back from Nairobi, I was suddenly—that was the time when people had started doing Facebook lives. And again, I was a little bit against what everyone was doing, but I thought, you know what, I've got something really interesting to tell people here. So I started doing them from clinic. So yeah, I mean, there's an awful lot of backstory, which I'm really—I hope people will find a little bit interesting, especially if you look after runners. My first—I mean, I've been involved in the fitness industry since—I'm uh, going to show my age now—but 96 was when I did my YMCA fitness instructor certificate in in tottenham road in london and then uh, that progressed into various different personal training qualifications um in the in the functional movement um kind of era of 2002 three and four i was with the national academy of sports medicine and became certified sports fitness specialist with them went over to california for a while so a big background in strength and conditioning um and i was a martial artist first of all and then moved into running when i just had a change in tutors and didn't really like kicking other people's shins it just wasn't much fun anymore and that's why i started getting more into running and concentrating on running and um and then my brother was actually involved in the soft tissue therapy side of things so for a while we were like bend him and mend him i was doing the rehab and he was doing the soft tissue stuff and then i thought actually i'd quite like to get involved in that as well and that's kind of where we met gary because i was looking for qualifications i did soft tissue master i did sorry um massage first of all Swedish massage and with some amazing trainers and um, and then I was looking for level fives um to to see what was being offered at a higher level to take it as high as I could go and that's when I met you and um, and I think together you'd been with the outfit for a while and together that was when things were changing certain things were being questioned not necessarily where we were or you were working and I was studying but that kind of again things were being said which we were reading elsewhere were a little bit antiquated and I think that's definitely where the journey for me came to try and put the evidence back into not just running, but also into soft tissue therapy um, and and also the journey for you and that's I think where the STA came out of wasn't it about supporting therapists and providing people with up-to-date information.
1: Yeah I, I suppose my involvement where, where we first met was to coordinate some formal assessment strategy on a course which previously hadn't been able to evidence um, a candidate's ability to pass or to to fail a course. Um, Additionally, coming from a coaching background as well, uh, after my military days um, I was asked to develop a, an exercise therapy module where we looked at exercise progression and regression and I'm I'm really pleased that some of the things that, that I was talking about you know um, a decade ago are, are still very very relevant today where some of the the soft tissue modalities and techniques might not be as relevant and, and you know I want to take my hat off to you for the way that you have know developed this this podcast and had some amazing guests you know walt fritz from america um you know gary johnson from the massage development center in british columbia you know we've had mark hazlett from new zealand uh, tim Gabbett from australia so all internationally recognized who have come on and and you know walt was a sticks out in my memory somebody who came and said this is what i used to teach but now that I've got a better understanding as the evidence has informed us, this is what I now teach. So what I'd be interested for, from you is that, you know, when you started your gate analysis um, in the industry, you know, was it a very structuralist approach that we that we employed you know the, the, the typical thing that i remember was going to a running shop and uh, you know running 50 paces on a, on a treadmill and then being prescribed a a shoe that corrected something that for me was quite a natural way of running so was that where you got involved and then your journey uh, things have changed definitely i mean we myself and my brother he set it up actually
0: um, it, within a clinic, uh, we had a sports injury clinic where I was doing soft tissue treatment as well as strength and conditioning. And then he started, um, he, he loves spending money and he's got himself a very expensive treadmill, Sprintex um, treadmill, and bought straight into what at the time was Contemplus or Templar, it's called now, which was a 2D gait analysis system, which was very expensive at the time. <clears throat> but um, yeah, he was very much into just, I wanted to be the best and attract people from all right over the country. And this was 2009 2010, which was actually before running shoe shops in the area um, were even doing gate analysis. Um, it wasn't until a year later when suddenly the branches started putting a treadmill in their shop and, and advertising gate analysis. And I remember that happening and, and people going, oh, your business is a bit screwed now, isn't it? Because all the, all the, all the running shops are doing it now. And by that point, I'd already been chatting with people like Ian Griffiths, because I mean I've I've grown up love chatting and talking and comparing and challenging and stuff. So I'd already been informed at that point about the whole idea where over pronation, can you really see what's going on even with the video in slow motion? How significant is overpronation as a determinant of risk injury. So I, to the disgust of my brother, had already begun tweaking our business model to reflect what the evidence was saying. And I actually said to people who were saying, oh, your business is going to go under. I was saying, no, actually, it's really good because these running shops for the next who knows how long are going to be just looking at the ankle. And they're just going to be having this antiquated idea of if your arch drops, you need this shoe. If it stays in the middle, then happy days, you can wear anything. And if it doesn't drop enough and it stays on the outside, and supernative position, then you're going to need more cushioning. And, and actually, this, that was one of the success of our businesses. Things really took off when people were reading on our website and hearing after conversations with us that we weren't the same as the shoe shops. Um, it meant that we fell out with an awful lot of people in the area and we could no longer got many runners from the area. Because quite simply, our name was a bit muck in our own village and town because we were challenging a lot of companies around us. Not nastily, because that's another thing I've grown up with. I'm not quite sure why. But I've always kind of, I don't want to say this without, I've got plenty of faults, many, many faults. You only have to ask my wife. But one thing I've always championed is never laugh at somebody else. You know, he who has never sinned can cast the first stone or something. It's that kind of thing. So I've always been delicate in my conversation with people where I I don't agree with what they're doing. I think that's been a trait which I've carried through, hopefully, to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. But... But what we could do with our businesses, is this is something I am going to talk about on the gate course. We had to make this decision where like, we're going against the grain with local runners. Local running clubs are very in touch with the running stores. We're not gonna get business from them. But we provided a service where suddenly we were charging a lot, but we were getting runners traveling down from not only north of England and all over the UK, but also from abroad. I had people coming from New York, I had people coming from um, the Netherlands to see us because they saw that we were selling something big impressive up-to-date and that was our business model and we did that for 12 years um that's something that's going to come out in the course working out what's going to work for you um but that's yeah
1: how important then you know given the embryonic stage of the business then how important was it for you to to look outside of what was happening in the UK, because as I mentioned earlier, I'm very I was very lucky to to attend uh, the RunChat Live conference in Brighton with some of the STA staff um, before the pandemic and, and what appealed to me. Was the 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 strength and the depth and the breadth of the, the guests that you had there, multi-disciplines? You know, you've mentioned uh, Ian Griffiths um, earlier, but you know, talk about some of the other people that influenced you and who you invited over and who spoke at the the RunChat Live events. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I was looking into running research,
0: um, and also maybe three years later, this is when. Pain science was becoming popular. Um, it's when um, lots of videos were started to become more mainstream, um, like Lauren Moseley and David Butler and the work they were doing. So there was a nice kind of coinciding between what I was already thinking and seeing with the running community and then explaining it using modern concepts and pain science. So a lot of the people in the shoulders I was standing on weren't from the UK. Um, in fact, I mean, I, I've got this here because I wanted to bring it out. I'm very much Another thing I kind of say to younger therapists and and any business people is recognize the shoulders who you've stood on. Even if they're your colleagues and peers, if you've kind of used their ideas and developed them, then then that's something you've got to do. So one of the things I show on the gate course, I'm going to bring it up here in the screen, if that's all right. I mean, I could have picked another 20, but these are people who helped me along the way. And a lot of them are from abroad. When you you look at running research, people, Dr. Rich Willey um, from the States, Alison Gruber from the States, Jeff Esculia from Canada via France. Izzy Moore stands out fantastically uh, because she is um, based in Cardiff from the, from the UK. Max Paquette, again, you're going back to the States. These are all people who have been on the podcast and are really, really high up in terms of running research. Irene Davis is down in Boulder. Simon Bartold also came to the conference, is in Australia. Dr Ben Nig um, is in Canada, um, the forefather of biomechanics. Uh, Dr. Greg Layman's in Canada, Paul Ingram when it came to looking at pain sciences in Canada, Ian Griffiths, notable mention because he is in London, and then Max Fitzgerald is one of my favourite authors in terms of running and really one of the first back in 2010 who connected the idea of modern concepts and brain science and and the whole kind of brain as the central governor with running and was a really big player in, in my development. So a lot of the people were abroad and this is why when it came to RunChat Chat Live when it came to me wanting to create a conference um, I realised I was going to need speakers from abroad there's other people I haven't had time to put on there because it would have looked too small but Christopher Johnson from Seattle and another great wonderful lad Terathi Running Coach Mike James from Wales was somebody I wanted so it sounded crazy but because I'd spoken to these people on Run Chat Live and, and got to know them when I turned around to Simon Bartold and said mate any chance of you coming over to Brighton from Australia to do this conference if I pay for your flight? And he was like, oh, blah, 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 blah. But eventually he was like, yeah, sure, if you pay for my flight, and give me some speakers allowance and we'll do it. Same went for Derek Griffin from Ireland. Same went for uh, J.F. Esculia. And suddenly, I had 10 speakers from around the world all meeting up in Brighton. And what was incredible was these people had never met each other. Simon Bartold, who had probably talked to J.F. Esculia for years and years of looking at research and stuff that never actually touched hands shook hands or be in the same room so i brought all these people together and it was a massively great thing it was amazing on so many levels and and that kind of something that's taught me and and, and something I've, I've brought through hopefully the sta podcast is you have to look further than your own country different ways of, of thought and everything and there's a message there for everybody you have to look past your front door in order to find interesting input and develop your own ideas and that's what we've done in the STA podcast like you said we've had plenty of wonderful guests like wolf fritz and other people from from other countries it's an important part you've got to look far and stretch your net wide if you're going to widen your own
1: knowledge I think we must, at this stage, pay reference to your mum's catering at the at the live oh, event, wow, which was memorable. Wow. It was it was fantastic, <laughs> and I'm sure she she she's still doing very well out of that. Um, the thing that 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 stuck out for me was when Simon Bartold, who I'd not seen before really, came mm-hmm. over, and, but I was really interested in in listening to his story about you know the development of the training shoe because. I remember, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I come from a military background and I can remember in in around about 1985, 86, we were told that we were no longer allowed to run in boots and we had to wear um, training shoes. And the high tech silver shadow was the um, was the M.O.D.'s choice. And I think that was probably one of the first, you know, running specific design shoes but you know Simon took us on a journey of, of, of what's happened in shoe development the amount of research and development um now I, I, as as we've mentioned before you know going into a running shop and having a look on a laptop at, at, at knee at knee downwards about how your achilles was out of alignment and then being prescribed a you know a shoe or an orthotic um how has you know, choice of running shoe changed since you've been in the industry, Matt. Oh, massively! I mean, I've lived at a great time. I mean, one of the most
0: exciting things was probably when Born to Run became popular. Um, I think it was 2013 when it was published. I'm never sure because it's had various. I think it's a Born to Run two even that's coming out now, but that's another story. But yeah, so that that made a massive impact, Um, the whole kind of barefoot saga, and that was really interesting. So I remember watching. Again, the very heated debates between Bartold and Crew on one side um, who were against the idea that, you, you know, everybody had to have a minimalistic shoe and you had to land on the front of your foot. They were they were very much, much against that idea. And at the time, he had not Jeff Esculia, but his compadre in the running school, um, who was very much um, um, championing the idea, no, we all have to be minimalistic and we all should be running towards the front of the foot, um, Blaise Dubois. And uh, it was really interesting and so much simple to see that debate going on because it's so ugly and so violent. And it, again, it made me realise this is not winning anything, but maybe other people need to have those arguments to help, you know, evolution of idea. But I was very much, geez, these guys are going to kill each other. I just sat back and it all soaked in, but everybody will agree that one thing that the whole born to run mistake and the myth that the book created um, did do was it made us realise as you say, the idea of basing shoe prescription on what your medial arch looks like it does, because that's another thing, whether it's the forefoot or the, or the rear foot or what's actually happening, you can't really see it, but the idea you can do it, divide all runners into three categories and produce a shoe to cure it is, is antiquated, it's, it's based on footprints in the snow, Um, It's based on what actually in the army they used to do, where they could track the enemy prints by looking at the different type of boots. And It actually was somebody who picked up on that research and thought, hey, maybe we can do the same with running shoes. So what Born to Run did was suddenly it got rid of that idea and started saying, hey, guys, actually, you're free. You're free to find a shoe which is more comfortable for you what the problem with born to run was it presumed that everybody was going to be more comfortable with at least shoe as possible or even no shoe because that's the way we used to run apparently you know when we were cavemen there's some wonderful footage of cavemen running around with no shoes and so what evidence then showed was not everybody is designed to work like that in fact very few people are designed to be able to run in no shoe at all um, if that were for long distances if you're sprinting across 100 meters or something going as fast as you can then yeah you'll be on the front of your foot because that's the best way for the body to travel quickly and it hasn't got to worry about rusting your achilles and your calves because you're not going to be running half a marathon but the evidence again shows that once you get to distance running even from 10,000 meters onwards definitely a marathon distance 89 percent of runners will be running with a heel strike um, and that kind of defeats this idea that we all have to a minimalistic shoe but the joy for me has been since 2013 and seeing that quite violent debate going on. People like Jeff Esculia, who I love to bits have kind of evolved and sat back and watched. And he was on the show um, recently on one chat live. And he's just coming in with like, well, it kind of makes sense that we have as, at least a heavy shoe as possible on our foot. And I was like, yeah, that's, you can't get away from that because every single 1,960 steps a mile, if you're running at like a 12 minute pace or something, I think that's what the, uh, the frequency is. But it makes sense that every step, if you're carrying a few ounces more, it's gonna take its toll on the tissues. So we are free to choose what we want. It makes sense to go for as least structured shoe as possible because you don't wanna carry the extra weight. But the biggest, overact, uh, the, the biggest overriding factor, which we have to recognize, and it affects soft tissue therapy as well, is that we are all very different, okay? There's no, we're not cars. Um, One of the slides I'll bring up, if that's okay. because this is my slide at the favour of the month, kind of sums it all up for me. It wasn't my idea. I think maybe it's Todd Hargrove, but I imagine somebody kind of said it before him. But um, I made a little picture to show it as an interpretation here. Basically, for those listening to the podcast, what I've got on the screen here on the left, depending how you're looking at it, is, is a very bust up car as a result of a wheel coming off. Wheel came off and obviously a car with only three wheels does not do very well. It's a machine. It's complicated, but it's dependent on the sum of its parts all working together. On the other side, you can see a lovely dog with three legs um, and if you look up on Google, you'll realize and you'll see that pets, especially dogs that have lost legs, they're, they're very happy and they, they manage their, their nervous system and brain manages to correlate a reorganization of what goes on to lead a very happy, pretty normal life in most cases. So what this image does for me is it explains really nice that a car is a machine and it's complicated, and but you can learn it and mechanics do. You've got a book you can write a book which shows exactly where everything goes in a car and you can fix it or you throw it away but when it comes to a a living body which has obviously got a brain and a nervous system like this little dog here standing with three legs it's not complicated well it is complicated but it's also complex so there's an interweaving of things like memory and experience and confidence and personality and beliefs and fears and expectations and all these kind of factors which mean that you can be very different from one minute to the next unlike a car which basically doesn't lose confidence when it has a crash it kind of just gets fixed and continues again so this is something which I love sharing with a lot of when I'm doing courses because it sums up how yes the biomechanics matters but really it's the mechanics side which we have we don't know that much about particularly with running it shows up we don't know why some people get injured running a certain way and other people don't get injured even though they run exactly same way and it's the bio part which is so fascinating which is why modern concepts into pain science and the whole kind of neuromatrix matrix moving into the biopsychosocial model is, is so fascinating and the more we understand about that the more we look at the person in front of us rather than treating them like a machine and just looking at the knee and the elbow and wrist the more chance we've got in actually helping that person recover and feel better and be like the dog who is once again managing to move around, even though it's only got three legs, it's managed to sort out and recover and get on with things as opposed to seeing people like cars because we're not mechanics. Unfortunately, um, if you do treat the body like a car and you advertise yourself as somebody who can fix the body because you've got the manual, you're barking up the wrong tree and, and your business model is, is dated to the extent that it won't be around for much longer i don't mean that to scare people it's just particularly running clients are wising up now okay there's an awful lot of runners out there who are prepared to they need help up to between or up to 75 percent, 80 percent of runners are injured according to the research what research you look at but they're very scared of us therapists because they've been fed so many things that don't work so many things and i've, I've done this through um Asking people directly and going into groups and seeing, like, right, what do you think of therapists? And the biggest thing is, ah, oh, they're always coming up with some new idea. You know, they're always coming out with, I can fix this. Oh, you need this. Oh, that therapist is wrong because we don't know the answers. So, this is what I'm all about. Hopefully, the STA is about. And definitely, when it comes to runners, that's the message I sell through RunChat Live.
1: Geez, I went on for a long time then, sorry. No, that's, that's fine. I, I, I made some notes um, when, I mean, those of us who are old enough to remember when this, when the barefoot, the Maasai barefoot technology shoes and the, uh, the, the um, what were the name of the, the vibro five, thing, five toe things came out. I mean, that was a really busy time for me as a therapist because everybody jumped on this bandwagon, continued doing what they were doing at the intensity they were doing it and injured themselves. Um, And they couldn't correlate what was happening to them with their recent choices. Uh, And the only other time I can remember in in, in my clinical practice that that happened was the evolution of CrossFit, where people went from sitting on the couch to Super maximal exercise in a short pace, space of time and injured themselves. But, you know, uh, I, I invited you to Lincoln several years ago when I was involved with the triathlon club. And, and one of the things that you mentioned there about the high percentage of elite runners um heel striking and and one thing that stuck out to me you you had a photograph taken at a marathon i'm not sure where it was it might have been boston from memory um where the the same runners were photographed i think at six miles and 20 miles and those at six miles who had a, a you know a four foot strike by the time they got to 20 miles they all had a heel strike Um, And you showed examples of some of the top distance runners in the world who were over pronating. That was always difficult for me because how do we distinguish between pronation and over pronation where does the boundary exist so those are the, the the takeaway things that that i took from from learning from you um the other thing that we we, we talked a lot about previously was um you know how ad- adapting cadence um made a, a massive change to to your run style so hopefully those are the sort of things you're going to be covering on the course but if we may, we'll go back to something you mentioned right at the, the onset is you started with a 2D system. you know. So what's the difference between a 2D and, and now I assume a 3D system? Yeah, so 2D basically means that you um,
0: are looking at what how the runner is moving either forwards, okay? Um, and sideways, that's all you can do. So you've got a camera that's, that's able to do that. Um, and then you're capturing the video and then you're using lines, some kind of software, whether it's on your iPad or whether it's a more sophisticated, yeah, more sophisticated piece of software um, where you can calculate angles and then interpret the data. If if those angles are linked to high risk of injury, then you can maybe do something about it. 3D is when you use, well, there's two ways of doing it, but you need to have cameras which are able to actually create a 3D image of the body and then if they're able to do that they can also look at rotation and they can start calculating forces and and give you much more information so the ways um, that currently where you can do that is you can either use a marker system um, one of the most expensive types which we'll be talking about in the course and I don't mean that derogatively because it's a, a very advanced system we'll be talking about how much you should spend but run 3d who again we've had on the show they spoke at my live conference and um, jessica bruce and uh, nick knight and trevor Pryor, all involved in that and um, that uses markers and um, it allows to create a, a 3d image of the body and gives you far more much more information and, and and in some cases if you're looking at some data which involves rotation like internal rotation of the tibia or fibia or, or the femur then data research has shown that you get much more accurate as soon as you involve a transverse plane then 2d really loses it you're not going to look at that um you need 3d the system i used for well we changed over from 2d to 3d in 2014 um and and that was thanks to an. i think i just had a quick look born to run came out in 2009 christian McDougall did it then but 2012-13 for some reason there was a resurgence and that's when we got loads of people coming in like you say with double Achilles tendinopathy so with the money we got from that thank you christopher google we actually invested in the 3d which was a lot more money but it was because of that it was a really good couple of years uh, i use motion metrics which i will be demonstrating a lot in the course which uses depth sense cameras so this is beautiful i really liked it. it suited me because you didn't you don't have to mark anyone up you don't have to put stickers on them there's no stickers coming off if they're getting hot and sweaty you don't have to draw on them you just have these cameras you calibrate the person and the cameras um because their depth sensing will work out the shape of that person where the anatomical points are all over the body and then you use that to calculate the angles and also the forces which is a big thing as well the kinetics of it is really important um so that's all 3d very expensive but again it depends on on what sort of business you've got we'll be talking about how much Things cost. I mean, to give you an idea, one of the ones I've mentioned is about nine hundred pounds a month. Okay, now, first sight, you might think nine hundred quid a month. Thank you very much. No way. But Motion Metrics was slightly less expensive. It was about well, you bought it outright for ten grand. Okay, that was you bought it outright plus plus uh, software development. But we were charging. This was going back. We were charging three hundred and fifty pounds for two hours or two and a half hours. Okay, and we were having at least, or sometimes it was maybe 10, 12 clients a week. So even though we paid, we were paying the equipment for about £800 a month or something, we were getting at least two and a half grand a week from getting these people in. So yes, we had a huge investment, but that was because we were, our business depended on getting people from from nationally and internationally. We weren't trying to deal with just the running club because we knew that wasn't gonna happen. We were just saying stuff that was too ahead of the time. But for somebody who's looking, who's really well in with a running club, you might be better just having 2D, which is cheaper, much cheaper. And because you know you've got a line of people who are queuing to get in and you don't need to give them that much information. Okay, um, we'll look into all of that on the course, but but you can, the, the research shows that 2D data cannot be dismissed. Um, anybody who says 3D is the best and 2D is rubbish is, is either just selling you a bit of sales pitch or they're misinterpreting the research. Because if you're just looking mainly at the sagittal and the frontal plane and not necessarily worrying too much about the rotation, which is a fair enough decision if you want, then you can get by with 2D.
1: Um, if you've got enough clients who you haven't got to impress that much, so yeah, that's the difference between two D and three D. It's interesting that several times that you mentioned rotation in the in the description about the three D model. Now we've all been sat in a traffic jam and seen somebody come running past us whose whose right foot you know finishes in a an, an externally rotated position, uh, you know, outside of their body line. We've all seen those who rotate the. The upper body dramatically. So, what you're suggesting then is that rotation has a, a, a large influence on somebody's ability to 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 run. Well, the the big question now is:
0: you can see a lot more, and you can measure a lot more. But one: do we know how this movement links to running injuries? A factor which, if we see, we can connect with a certain type of running injury in which case the answer is is very shady and gray uh, because one it will depend on the person in front of you as we talked on before okay with a dog with three legs we're not the car so not everybody will react the same way to different forces in, in any direction and two it's just how much can you change that rotation what can you do to the runner to actually to make a change if you see it and that's another thing because we know with the research that strength and conditioning alone doesn't change the way in many cases a runner runs a classic example would be the glute med for example gets a lot of fame in running because it controls the contralateral pelvis and it's really important for kind of stability in the pelvis um so research has shown quality research in a couple of cases that you can increase the strength of the, of the glute me by doing whatever exercise you fancy but the runner will still, the, the kinematics don't change. There's not a naturally a uh, uh, brain won't incorporate this strength and move differently just because it's stronger. So that's one of the things where gait training has become so popular. One of the biggest uses of, of um, having someone on a treadmill is getting stronger by all means, but then you've got to have some kind of cue or drill in order to rehearse the body into moving that way. And then you've got to keep that going so that it changes from, from what we could refer to as, conscious incompetence which is where you know you're doing it wrong to conscious competence which is where you're doing it right but you're having to think about it and then eventually into unconscious competence where you're moving in a different way and you're not having to think about it and that takes time and practice so that's one of the things we look at on the course so with 3D you know I love 3D again for me because I was attracting clients from abroad and and people traveling and and will happy to pay a lot of money because they have been let down a lot elsewhere that was my client base and still is when i do online consultations for me most of my online consultations are from abroad okay then it helps that i speak spanish i must admit but they are tired of being let down and they want to go to somebody who they think has got a different answer and that's what i give them so and i
1: think we've we've spoken about this hundreds of times over the 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 past few years is if we have a specialism a unique selling point then we can charge a premium we're justified in doing so it recognizes the investment in in machinery in software in advanced training that we've done so i don't think we should be afraid of 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 specializing Uh, and i think you know having that unique selling point does make you you know a, a, a more viable option for for people looking for that type of treatment and so it's it's around your branding and but don't be you know don't be worried about charging that premium because people are willing to pay and especially now we're seeing it you know in other aspects of life where the NHS is working at capacity and people are saying well actually I'm going to go private I'm going to pay for my scan because I know I can have it done next week instead of waiting 26 weeks so we are taking responsibility for our own health Um, it's interesting that you know your course is called the the gait analysis for runners which is a modern approach so could you you know set out the differences of why your course and the information you give makes it a modern approach compared to what we used to know so it links in quite nicely and this is why the
0: the because I did this course I started this course about 10 years ago. Like you said, I went to Lincoln, I went um, to Bristol, went down to Anna Maria. So years ago I did a version of this course. And and it was it was a little bit, well, there was a couple of things. One, it was just too controversial, it was too ahead of its time. It was based on a series of presentations I did at Therapy um, Expert, Expert um, which I did for about three years in a row, and then basically they turned around and said, Can you do something just on injury, not on pain? And I was like, Oh mate, no, you haven't got you don't understand what I'm trying to say here. Um, so because that was a bit of this time. That was my hiatus away from therapy expo. Now, fortunately, and the reason this course is coming back, and obviously it's been evolved and changed in the time, is because I I've seen now that there's an awful lot more soft tissue therapists and, and therapists who are on that page, which I was kind of expecting people to be on 10 years ago. If if you're doing uh, a modern soft tissue therapy course, you will be introduced to the idea that symmetry does not correlate with um, asymptomatic individuals. You get plenty of people who are symmetrical and they're in pain. You get plenty of asymmetric people who are, are not in pain. So that's a big one for if you're now working with runners because we can't assume that our runner needs to have level shoulders, level hips, um, and everything needs to move like kind of like the Terminator. And and like you mentioned, for example, I mean there's they're oldies, but they're goodies. Um, I'll bring them up here just for people who join us in the live lounge. Um, you mentioned Hayley Geber-Selassie, for example, which is, yes, it's an N equals one, but it's a classic image of still, I would say, most people regard as the most famous long distance um, runner in the world. Um, getting uh, people who can't see this, uh, the screen, listen to the podcast. We're talking about somebody who at 35 years old ran a 2.359 marathon at the 2008 Berlin. And if you see, footage of him running which we do on the course if he walked into a gait analysis traditional they would say oh jesus i'm I'm amazed you can even run i mean first you've got to change your shoes and get a motion control shoe like these brooks ghosts or something and secondly we've got to change that we've got to strengthen this so that's a lovely example of of how we we can't expect people to move in the middle now In statistics, we we create an average, which is we put all of the different numbers together and then look at what's in the middle. But in many of these cases, none of our sample are actually in the middle because there'll be plenty of them below it, plenty of high, and that's why it makes the average. So we've got to get away from this idea that there is a norm when it comes to humans. Um, Same thing goes again. It's an old classic one, but it's still something to create thought Chris Jett, is often quoted as a wonderful runner who, who has a, an incredible internal rotation of that femur and adduction of the thigh and that Charleston kick, as it's kind of often called. And again, if that got on a treadmill, you'd be thinking, oh, happy days. I've got to change you now and I've got to bend you all. I'm going to do some myofascial release. I'm going to change the position of your leg. And yet here we've got somebody who, um, you know, in 2013, won the New York Marathon in 225. OK, far better than any of us um, are going to run. Even faster than Derek Griffin, who, congratulations, got a 230 something in London Marathon. Uh, But yeah, so. But one of the things I always talk about is don't just look at these photos of elites. Just go out yourself. okay. And a lot of common sense will come into place on this course. If you go out and watch enough runners, so your local half or even your park run, but particularly a half or a marathon, because that's when the speeds obviously are slower. And I went out one year as I was expecting my kid. And I wasn't running the marathon anymore because um, I used to run the marathon in, in a blue morph suit and turning up at, you know, my kid's birth in a blue morph suit would have just been complicated. So I decided to lie on my belly and just film people um, running. And there's some great videos on YouTube and munchat Live YouTube channel, which just show me lying on my belly and I'm filming people who are doing the half. And they're running at a respectable speed. I think in one of the cases, it was like a 3.30 marathon pace. Um, the other one, I think, was a 3.15 marathon pace. Um, and uh, on one of this videos here, I've got just time after time again, heel strike, heel strike, heel strike. And I encourage runners, people who look after runners, to go out and just look at the general population. Just the same as I encourage soft tissue therapists who are on a course who are saying, oh, we need to level those shoulders out. Just to put your hand up, not violently, but just say, could we check all our shoulders in here just for a second? In fact, I don't recommend you do that. It's just going to create a little bit of conflict. But if you did do a a shoulder symmetry test or a leg length discrepancy test for all 20 people on your course, you would realise that the norm is to be asymmetrical. Don't do it out loud, actually, because where's your teacher going to go with that? If you say that all of us are crooked and yet none of us are injured, what are you saying? I mean, that's what our industry needs to do because it's just common sense. There's so many examples out there um so yeah look around you and you will see that a lot of what you've been taught um need is just contradicted in everyday populations so that's why my gait analysis is called a modern approach i'm not directly having a go at anybody who teaches the old school because i used to do that That's how i got into gait analysis i would be telling people oh, look you know look what your sartaylor joint's doing look you're overpranator you need these shoes we're going to do these exercises and i'm the first to make sure that you know you never look at somebody and criticize them if you used to do it yourself but there's still an awful lot of it about and every time I do a presentation or a workshop I'm checking on Google for up-to-date commercials adverts course details you know with the running with the uh, what was it the running show recently I think which is probably one of the biggest conferences in London and I think they got one in Birmingham or something I was looking at what they were advertising and there, you know some of it had changed it was nice they were using less black and white language but then suddenly 20 minutes spine check with our local chiropractor to check whether you need any adjustments you know it's like sit down we'll check your back do an x-ray and see if you need adjustments no subjective no questions just just look at your back and i thought wow the general population still are being so miseducated so that's why it's called a modern approach it's a gentle easing into a lot a lot of sense common sense but also just move away from some of the myths and misconceptions which, which we've grown up with.
1: Yeah as you mentioned in that map we're talking about research and one of the problems I've always had with looking at research and, and trying to understand research is if we design a study then we collect data But we automatically then disregard the outliers, which would positively or negatively skew our research results um, so that we get a better result and i've always qu- questioned why do we do that if we're going to conduct research let's take everything into account um it's interesting there you, you spoke about derek a couple of times and well done on his marathon time hats off you know that's that's great he was one who at the run chat live conference i didn't want to at all you know he questioned everything you know and he still does on twitter he he, he, he warns me up but you know he's got his reasons you know and, and i admire him for for sticking to his guns but yeah he, he really really got got to me but you recently did a you know on run chat live podcast you really recently did a a gait analysis for 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 runners um you spoke with four leading um researchers on on running biomechanics now across that series did you find that the message was similar or were there disagreements you know i was interesting because I I did that because
0: RUNCHET Live had been dormant for a little bit of time because I've been focusing, you know, in particular on Sports Therapy Association podcast. I knew the gate course was coming up. And as is the case for probably many of you listening, imposter syndrome gets all of us. You know, imposter syndrome gets all of us. Am I right? Should I be challenging this? Blah, blah, this, blah, blah, that. So I thought, well, look, why don't I? I've had the pleasure in the past with 52 episodes of talking to researchers, but that was like about three probably between three and eight years ago, that series. So I thought I'd get four of the biggest researchers out there who are still very contemporary and working now and and have a little chat with them. And there was little, there was was variations. Jeff Asculia stands out as somebody I really like because he loves challenging mainstream thought. He had had a really good one, which I'll just give you an example of how Jeff Asculia's mind works. There's a lot of, Talk about rotating trainers. That's something which, funnily enough, runners love that idea of advice because it gives them a reason to buy more shoes. But yeah, we've got this nice idea of if you wear a different pair of trainers, then your body's not going to have that repetitive load on the same tissues again and again. So let's just mix it up. It was JF Asculier points out. And he's done it. I remember when he did it to me, and I was just stopped in my tracks. He kind of said, "Well, yeah, I get the logic of that, but first of all, it's based on one paper." maybe two there's a little of a follow-up as well so it was a small sample size this idea that we should rotate trainers to avoid injury and two it kind of goes against the basic said principle of if you want a tissue to actually adapt to get stronger you need to give it the cumulative loads. you need to keep poking at it and to get it strong and stronger so if you're changing your shoes every one or two days you're not giving the same tissues enough of that repetitive demand to adapt and I was like Oh my God, you're right as well. It's like going to the gym and doing a different exercise every day for biceps. You know, you've got to do curls for a while or something, or you've got to do chest press for a while to, to get that six weeks and, and cause that adaption. So he was somebody who, who is constantly challenging ideas, which, which I love. But the common theme amongst all four of them, a highly respected, really influential, passionate and super intelligent clinicians and researchers was this you can't oh gait analysis is is a dodgy area if you're just following the biomechanics and the kinematics the research which we do just contradicts itself too much the link between kinematics the way you move and injury is very very shady in fact three of them didn't even want to do it with me because i said matt i'm just gonna i'm I'm gonna tell you stuff you don't want to hear and i'm like no 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 no. believe me i've chosen you because you're going to tell me stuff that i want to hear um but my take on it Is not when you get somebody into your clinic for gait analysis, you're not just going to put them on a treadmill and, and look at their running. For me, it's about getting the runner in, getting that therapeutic alliance going by giving them some of what they want, getting their confidence and then using that opportunity to actually educate them. Because that's what we really need to be to do. Yes, we can have some skills with our hands. We've got some amazing ways to make people feel relaxed and different sensations and affect the nervous system that way. But our biggest power is therapists um, and coaches and anybody who kind of works with people in that kind of um, in that sphere is is educating them. And that's not easy. I mean, with Dr. Gary and we talked about how if you're trying to change someone's behavior, you've got to recognize where they are, you've got to look at your language, you've got to listen to them, you've got to allow them to reach their own conclusions. So that's why I'm always going on about CPD, think about your communication, listening and stuff. So a lot of my course is about that. It's about using gate analysis to actually get them in, get that therapeutic alliance, and actually educate them and help them look at things outside of the reason they came to see
1: in the first place yeah uh, interesting you mentioned imposter syndrome there and and i've spoken before about this we suffer with imposter syndrome in my opinion when we compare ourselves against our um our you know rivals in the industry the local therapist for example in the next village or town but if we compared ourselves to our old self and understood how we've developed over a period of time we wouldn't get this imposter syndrome so you don't have to worry about somebody with extra qualifications than you they might have got a a completely different journey and you are where you are and compared to your old self you're a far more rounded therapist and especially if you're the sort of people who are listening to to the Sports Therapy Association podcast regularly you'll know that we're challenging you we're signposting you to the experts uh, on the periphery of our industry if you like um but i think that the, the the people who read that uh that one um, study into rotating your trainers uh were all owned sports shops and they they came up with the same idea as the uh, the british fruit and veg marketing board back in the 70s with your five a day you know so i think that was you know me being cynical but i think the running shops did really well out of that and and i i still rotate my training shoes um you know but mine are i i wear one pair for just dossing around in one pair if i'm going exercising um so but i do that because i like buying training shoes and especially blue ones <coughs> Especially blue ones, here we you know. <laughs> see, they can't be there. We haven't had we haven't had any questions from the audience tonight. I think so saw obviously... one. Yeah, I think we saw we... one. Hold on, I did at the corner of my eye. Oh, do you think you'd do another run chat live conference oh, right, now?
0: uh probably. Yeah, I don't know. Probably, I don't know. I think I'm going to focus. I mean, I sh- I wanted to say this at the beginning because I was I was conscious that. One of the things we pride ourselves and, and jump in, Gary, you know, if you want to, one of the things we pride ourselves at the Sports Therapy Association is, is we are an association that is not into, we're not set up to then make money out of selling courses. This is why we don't offer our own courses, um, because if we're going to represent sports soft tissue therapists um, and, and advise and support, then we can't really be also We can't have that business interest where, oh, yeah, you should do this course, which I actually make money out of. So I was a little bit worried about coming on the show and talking about my course because it sounds like it's a pitch to come onto my course. So I just want to let people know you can't come to my course because it's sold out. Sorry. Um, there's a few people in there tonight I think, who are coming on it, which is great. So mm-hmm. I'm not, we're not doing this episode to sell my course whatsoever. We're doing it just purely because I'm, I'm actually something apart from just host the Sports Therapy Association podcast. And it's a good opportunity just to, to help people out there which is what we're doing it for we are looking that said into different hosts and things and and if this one is popular which has proved popular by the uptake so far we can look at different areas in the country and i'll be happy to come around to it. and if you're interested in that just email me matt at live.com but um but how did that tie with the question you asked me, Gary? So I forgot.
1: So, well, I mean, what I'm going to do is reinforce what you just said there, Matt, about the, you know, the potential for conflicts of interest. And, mm-hmm. and that's really why I set up the Sports Therapy Association because I didn't want um there to be a conflict of interest so i i stopped my teaching um so that i can give an an, you know an unbiased opinion of of, of training that's out there and and i write your my member cpd policies and i didn't want them to think or feel obliged that they had to do my course so that's why i stopped but you know just to put it into context you know i invited you to talk about your course because i can see its value I also invited you and suggested turning the tables on you because for one hundred and forty five episodes you have eloquently interviewed some of the you know internationally recognised speakers um, you 've raised the game in my opinion and and I just wanted you to have a chance to tell us what motivates you and what your area of expertise is. So, you know, the course that we're talking about, which is sold out anyway, but, you know, that, that now involves a, a mixture of, 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 of well, a blended learning course, in effect. So there are, there are some online um, days and there are some practical days. Would you like to explain how you arrived at, at that for us?
0: Yeah, that was that was kind of the brainchild of Anna Maria Mazzieri who a lot of you will know as the founder and director of the ST School, the School of Soft Tissue Therapy, Um, and it kind of really made good sense. Um, It's interesting, without ringing my own bells, ringing my own trumpet, doesn't make sense, but the OneChat Live conference in 2019 was, I think, one of the first conferences which, as well as inviting 100 people to Brighton, to see the speakers on stage there was a few things we did we had like a question panel with the 10 speakers at the same time and in the afternoons which was a little bit revolutionary at the time it was it was lovely i had my own way of just doing what i felt would work and i've been in education for many years so i had a few ideas of how it'd be interesting for the audience and and then the year after obviously covid came and we did another one so it had to be oh sorry the first conference we also televised so i had the Physiomatics podcast team down there and they were filming the whole lot and streaming it at the same time which at the time was totally new concept there was this idea where you could buy a ticket and either come and watch it or you could just watch it live from your computer and then have access to the recordings afterwards and now when you look around I'm not saying this to try and get a pat on the back but now when you look at the courses a lot of courses now are filming them And then saying, if you can't watch it on the day, just watch it in your own time and and you can do that. So a lot of that came from One Chat Live. Um, The following year we did it all online. But again, there is an option when you buy your ticket to buy the recording and stuff. So that kind of that really works. Um, it, It was born out of Covid and now a lot of other kind of different lives out there are doing the same sort of thing. So we're doing it for this as well it's silly making people travel and find accommodation if I can just give you the theory in an interactive way over the internet and we can be really interactive on this game analysis course we'll be using different apps to get people to go into groups it'll be over zooms there'll be breakout rooms there'll be activities there'll be anonymous question answering so a lot of people can still get involved without feeling that kind of one mustn't let people know what I'm thinking all of these things will take on board so it really gets a great education system and then the third day we're gonna to get together on the third Saturday and then put everything into practice. Um, Penny down here who's coming to the course. Thanks for signing up, Penny. Looking forward to meeting you in person. It'd be so nice to meet people in the flesh. Um, so Penny says, are we getting our own running gate analyzed on the course, Matt? If so, I'm not coming, um, well, I can't ask that now. Penny, can I, I need you to come. But yeah, we will be on the practical day using different types of gate analysis. We'll be looking at the reliability, inter reliability and inter-reliability. Um, to to test these systems there's no point doing something if when we do it the next day we get totally different results and it's questionable if someone else does it and you get totally different results how good is that system so ideally people do will benefit hugely from coming to the third day which in this case is going to be an exeter or wherever it's going to be in the country but some people just call me up and said, mate I can't travel is there any other way of doing it could you record the third day like you did one chat live and I'll just pay for the recording of the day and I was like you know what if that's going to help you if that's what you want yeah fine so now we have started this new model where if you can come along to the practical day like penny will be doing other people then uh, that's great But if you can't then the whole thing will be filmed and um, just like we did one chat live and you can watch it in your own time and pause it and send me questions and stuff so that's the idea of the hybrid system i think it's already getting quite popular now amongst different trainers because we live in a different world i want to keep encourage people to meet up together and hug each other and shake hands and all that sort of stuff but not everyone can do it. No one's got finance. No one's got the ability to stay. So, yeah, that's
1: what I I'm think. Um, I think Penny there is uh, is um, raising her own hand as a volunteer there. She's an unusual way done of doing it, but, yeah, 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 yeah. I think that was a very subtle thing that, please will you use me as a guinea pig? But going yeah. back to the Run Chat Live, Matt, and I was there at the one that was filmed, and 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 uh, I, I've got to say, I think you were extremely brave to... to think about that and organize that because as you say you had people coming from all over the world and i'm pretty sure at one stage you were going to be deeply in the red on that course oh for sure um, i was paying 500 quid for each speaker to come from the states and canada from, but i don't know that's why i take up my brother a little bit i thought
0: oh let's give it a go you know it's uh, and, it, and it paid
1: off yeah but it was it, was it was really good and 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 i particularly enjoyed that that panel Uh, discussion at the end and the the questions and I was the one walking around you know handing it to people Um, but I think that was you know part of the evolution of our industry if if I'm honest that you know we now have rolled that out into the therapy expo um, environment where we have panel discussions in the STA theatre there were multiple panel discussions I was part of one in the in the larger theatre so you know I think it it it's extremely beneficial to to have people with differing opinions on the same stage at the same time you know giving giving their argument if you like so we've we've run out of time matt um as as i say there's, there's been no question so you know if people wanted to to learn more about you to follow you on social media how do they get hold of you
0: so run chat live basically everywhere i was fortunate in that i've used the word run chat live although most of the Hispanic population think it's Ron Chat Live which has also got a nice ring to it Ron Chat Live however you want to pronounce it, it's up to you but that's how I am on Instagram on uh, on everything on um, what's it called TikTok um, yeah all over the place wherever you, your way of looking is and obviously the website Ron Chat Live right, is something that's been around now for 12 years um, there is premiums involved in there very cheap there's a running course which is 15 12 minute videos for myself covering the basic research and areas to do with shoes, strength training, etc. That's something which is very popular. Um, and I think it's about 29 quid, so it won't break the bank. It gives you a nice intro. In. And gently, I hope, I hope all my CBD is, is quite gentle and doesn't make you feel small or like you have to throw everything away. Um Leslie here um, in a Scottish accent, which I won't, sh- well, I won't be able to do, but says, oh, bloody hell, I want to do your course now too and go down the gate analysis rabbit hole. So many courses, so little money and time, lol. Yeah, I mean, this is something, again, we talk about on the course, how to make CPD decisions and stuff. But I think what we've talked about before and Gary talked about a lot with Tim is is doing, you know, doing your your costs and and benefits. And and as a business model, you know, you have to be a real, you have to be very careful that if you're going to spend money on CPD, then you can make money out of it. And that's something which I think not enough therapists do. Some therapists are driven by what's it called? FOMO, fear of missing out. And they don't actually think, right, how is this 250 quid going to translate? How am I going to? make this back within two or three months so that's how your decision's got to be leslie if, if you're looking at getting to gate analysis do so you think by by increasing your evidence and, and having a little bit more of a hold on what's actually going on you might be able to get more customers or charge them more then hey the investment's there if not then and then look at something that does tick those boxes
1: we, we've said several times Matt, that our choice of CPD should be informed by our by our client base. So, you know, my theory on this is, if 65, 75 percent of your client base are runners, um, there is no point in you going doing a dry needling course. Just as one example, you are much better spending that that effort, you know, the 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 commitment in time and finances on something that's specific to your client's needs. That's going to make you, you know be able to facilitate change for them in in a in a in a quicker or a a better way and once you've got that um additional skill by all means you know increase your charges because you've got a premium product and you shouldn't worry about um you know charging for that but um matt uh, you know i know that you for the past few couple of years you've really um taken the 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 sta um podcast to the to the therapy expo and and organized all of our speakers so i'm going to cordially invite you to to if you can do a 30 to 40 minute presentation for sta members in in the sta theater um and give an insight into you know some snippets from your course Uh, i know you've mentioned some this evening but if there's any way that we could get that information to a wider audience let's do it
0: that's a good idea actually yeah we could do that That'd be cool. I'm really excited. We've had a few chats and meetings, only about therapy for this year. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm so looking forward. We can't say too much about it now, but it's going to be a great year. It'll be really good yeah, I mean, yeah. to meet out with people as well. It'll be fantastic. Yeah, we can do something on gate analysis there. Um, that will get a treadmill or place for that. But we can definitely look at some
1: slides and share some information. It'll be good. Yeah. Okay. Well, twenty-one oh four. Again, we've we've run slightly over time. I'd like to thank you, Matt, for contributing. Um, not as the host, but as a, as a guest on the STA podcast, um, and probably it's something that we can do again um, next year. You know, when you when you've rolled out these courses and you, you're finding out new information, we could probably discuss it again. So a part two, uh, I'm sure, would be appreciated by the uh, by the audience. So um, thanks very much for your time, everybody. I hope you've enjoyed this different session. I will be um, on next week again, just sharing the the space with Tim for any questions about the soft tissue therapy industry or for the graduate sports therapist, if you want to know anything, or your sports rehabilitators, uh, please email gary at the sta.co.uk or matt at the sta.co.uk with any questions or join us live. You know, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and and to our YouTube channel. Uh, Thank you very much for your time and look forward to next week.
0: You're listening to The Therapy Association podcast putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy.